the church is alive and active and moving, and it's great. So uh, we are going to continue uh, in our sermon series in Hebrews, and we're going to carry it through. So in a few weeks, we start our Advent, and, and uh, it's a tradition we love doing, and, and kind of just declaring in, in anticipation of, of you know, the coming Savior, and we know that He's come, but we, we, we still carry that anticipation anticipation of him coming again, which is awesome. So we do that as a tradition, but we're actually going to continue this series through it. Normally, I just stop for a Christmas series, but I don't feel like doing it this time. So we are going to do Advent, but we're going to continue in this sermon series because I believe God is working and doing something in it as well. And um, so yeah, we're continuing here, and we're going to focus on God's rest and his peace that he's made available to us. Now, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I, my name is Sam Alessio, and I have fairy issues. Is anyone kind of with me? Right? So fairies, for whatever reason, bring out this anxiety in me. I kind of get stressed out. I get stressed that they're, I'm usually, I, I, I am from the lower mainland. My family still lives in the lower mainland. So most of my travels is going down the lower coast. It's always that stress, man, the ferry is going to be late. I'm going to miss my connection or they're going to load me wrong and I'm going to be stuck behind 50 slow drivers, all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and there's this built up anxiety. And, and it's funny because uh, normally the ferry is actually late. We could actually depend on that. Very rarely does a ferry leave on time. And, and most, more often than not, we are stuck behind slow people on the peninsula. And we usually make our connection. But the worst part is not that the ferries actually do the very things that I'm worried about, but the fact that I spend weeks already worrying about it. And so the whole time leading up to it, I'm dealing with that anxiety, fear, we're sleeping bad. And the night before is just not fun for us, for me, for us as a family. <laughs> for me and my wife. <laughs> and, and, and we carry that. And, and it can be the, the same thing spiritually, where doubt, um, when we doubt God's goodness and we're always looking for what's going to go wrong. You know, something is going to go wrong. Something always goes wrong. And even when life does happen, we're driven to the negative because we're constantly looking for the negative thing. See, even if something negative doesn't happen, we've already built ourselves up to the point where that's all that we're really aware of. And that's kind of the setting I want us to think of as we begin to now go into Hebrews 3, and the author of Hebrew begins to speak about God's peace. So join with me. We're going to go into Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts will always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Now, if we do a little background here, um, the author is actually quoting the Old Testament and talking about Israel in exile. So Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them out of slavery and brought them into this, this time of desert and with this promise that they would enter the promised land. And their promise is that this land would be a land of amazing provision and evidence of God's goodness. And, and as 
As God led them out of Egypt through Moses, they've encountered some incredible things. They were led out through the parting of the Red Sea. Like, how amazing is that? And they, they walked through the Red Sea completely untouched. And they saw as Egypt's armies were chasing them, God's absolute perfect deliverance. And they were led by day by a cloud and at night by a pillar of fire in the sky as they were going. Um, they didn't bring any supplies with them, really. And so they were fed daily by, by the Bible describes as manna. And then when they got tired of manna, God provided quail and God caused water to come out of a rock. And they witnessed all these miraculous things. They saw that just God do things in amazing, amazing way. Yet, if you read the story, all they ever did was focus on the desert. They completely missed the absolute provision of God. All they saw was a desert in front of them. And even though the promised land was actually a physical location, they were already receiving the fulfillment of that promise on their way there. The promise was that they were going to encounter the provision of God. And they were experiencing the provision of God. But it did not look like what they were looking at. All they saw was the desert. Now, how many of us, and this is kind of an honesty moment, have read the Bible and said, man, if I could be there, if I can watch and sample that wine that used to be water, how amazing would that be, right? If I can see Jesus do, if, man, if we saw Jesus walk on water, like, come on, that'd be amazing, or, or seas part. Yet, I think we, we can see that seeing, it doesn't always translate into actually believing. And like Israel, we can fall into that same thing where we can be, become completely unaware of God's goodness, that actually our unbelief rob us of God's peace and even his promise that he gives us. Now, uh, a lot of you guys know that I'm actually really, really bad with sayings. And, 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 and the context is, is I grew up Italian. English is not my first language. And, and, but, you know, Italians have a lot of sayings. They're just different. And my dad used to always say things like, the more you have, the more you want. Or easy come, easy go was my dad's favorite one. We'd watch 649, you know, Fridays at 649. We have our ticket and we never win. And my dad would say, easy come, easy go anyways, right? Money, easy come, easy go. And, and uh, um, the principle is that we'll never actually be satisfied unless we're satisfied people. We'll never be satisfied unless we have an attitude of someone who's already satisfied. Nothing will ever be enough. Now, I've never known, have you ever met someone that said, I have enough? It's enough, right? We, we actually had uh, um, an awesome dinner last night. We had pretty much like Christmas dinner. I don't know why, but we did, and it was awesome. We had like roast chicken and stuffing and gravy and mashed potatoes. And you know what? I have never heard anyone say I've had enough right? The, how many times do we go for seconds of stuffing, right? Stuffing is like my, right? It's a condition. If we're not satisfied people, we'll never be satisfied. And, and, and that's what the author is getting at here. Are we aware of God's goodness right now today? Are we aware of his provision and his promise? Let's keep reading now. We're going to go to verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. 
For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Let's stop there. There's a few things there. First of all, what I love about this is actually we all play a role in helping others see and recognize God's goodness. We all play a role. We're all helping that our eyes would be open and that we would uh, encourage actively, that we would actively be encouraging people, showing people that God is working and moving in our words, in our testimonies, in our actions, that we actually demonstrate right, to people around us the goodness of God is continuous. But also, if we look at it in verse 12, make sure your own heart, make sure your own heart is right. That, that, that statement, make sure your own heart isn't hardened. There, there, there is a, this active thing that we need to do, this, this honest moment that we need to have. Is my heart in the right place? Is my heart set in line with you, with you, God? Is my heart aware of you, God? Am I in my heart staring at the desert, or am I in my heart aware of your goodness? Am I in my heart staring at life that's right in front of me, or am I in my heart aware that you are still God and that you are still good? It's this evaluation of the heart. And, and, and it's when we're in relationships, like, like we're talking about small groups or we're around people that influence us, that's when we not only check our own hearts but encourage others. We, we rally people together. We become like those that we are around. So we talk about things, you know, oh yeah, women meet and Thursday, guys meet. No, we're doing all these things. What we're doing is we're trying to create community. We're surrounded by people that are continually pointing to what God is doing because God is always doing. That's why things like meeting together is so important because worship takes our eyes off ourselves and puts it on God who's worthy of worship. That's why we we have fellowship together and we share testimony and we give words and we participate because God is always doing. And if we're not careful, we'll get to a point where we actually become blind or deaf or, 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 or numb to what God is doing. This idea that we become familiar with. I, I don't know if there is a more dangerous word in the church than familiarity. It becomes just so familiar. Um, if we look at verse 13, uh, um, this do not harden your heart. Do you, do you ever like tune people out? In, in, do you, have, you don't have to say the person out loud, but can, can you think of a person right now who in your life you've done a really, really good job of tuning out their voice? Right? They're other like really, really negative people, or they always say the same thing over and over again, or just sometimes people's voices are irritating. Anyone? You know? And you kind of just tune it out, and you, and you don't hear it. <laughs> it. This can be incredibly dangerous in our faith. When we become so familiar with our, our place of comfort that we stop hearing and experiencing and declaring the goodness of God. This is not tuning out our parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is actually tuning out the source of our rest and our peace. When we doubt God's goodness, we become kind of numb to it. 
become numb to his calling of us. We become numb to, to what's going on, and we actually begin to believe that it's normal. You know, you ever be there like, like this is just the way it is? This is just normal? I always like using the example of, of, of I, I'm a food guy. The food is a big part of our house. In fact, uh, one of the girls had a friend over, and she's like, every time we're eating, we're talking about food. You know why? We watch a lot of Food Network. Anyone else? Is anyone else, like, I don't know, we just rate our food. Oh, man, the salt level and whatever. And, you know, we talk about, oh, the flavor, and da, da, da. Hey, da, da, da. and we talk about food. We love food. And, and um, I have several allergies. I have a shellfish allergy, which is really sad for living here because prawns, right, come on. And, and um, I have some nut allergies. And I grew up really believing that uh, I was allergic to peanuts. But peanuts, it turns out I can eat. But uh, um, when I was in my 20s, I discovered this thing called pea butter. And it looked like peanut butter. And to me, it tasted like peanut butter, but Katie would never eat it. And I was like, why are we buying two peanut butters? Just eat the pea butter. And Katie's like, that pea butter's not the same. I'm like, look, it's exactly the same. We think that this is, should be normal. And then you taste the real thing, and you're like, I have been lied to. <laughs> if we use the example of Israel, when all we say see in act is the desert around me, we think that that desert is normal. We wake up thinking of the desert. We talk about the desert. What's, what's today's desert? What is everyone talking about? What's the first words out of our mouth? What are our, what are our thoughts? What, what dominates the media around us? Now let, let's get even more personal, right? And to just begin honestly asking that question. We become so familiar with God's goodness that we actually, we're used to not having it, but we kind of hope we experience it. Well, I hope I see God's goodness. Kind of like the same way I look out today and say, I hope it'll be sunny. <laughs> I hope I'll win the lottery. I never play, <laughs> but I hope. Right? I hope the Canucks can play defense. Right? That's not going to happen. I hope, I hope, I hope. And we're putting, we call it hope, but what we're doing is we're, we're wishing for something that God has already made available to us. Right? So if we continue reading, like, how does this fit in with rest? So let's continue reading here now in, in, in Hebrews 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never Enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Now this morning, I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation, because I love the way they translated this. It's just so, so beautifully clear. God's promise of his rest still stands today. But the author is like, but I fear that some will fail to experience it. Now, the way this is written is there's not a divide between unbelievers and believers. This isn't like Christian, non-Christian. There's literal people 
who will not experience or go into the rest and the promise of God, not because they don't qualify for it, but because, like the example, they refuse to see it. As a pastor, um, one of the things I frequently hear or see is people struggling with, what can I do? What do I need to do? And the beauty of this faith is there's not a heck of a lot you need to do. But this is a part where we actually promise what this is the faith part. Where God says, I've given it to you. This is the action part. Where with our words, with our eyes, with our actions, we either believe or we don't. Rest is available for us today. Now, I I absolutely love this. I think God, not only does he have an amazing sense of humor, he just weaves things together so beautifully, so much better than, than I or anyone else can do it. Now, I am a massive fan of the arts. I love painting. I am like, I like the weird stuff. I'm the contemporary. I love shapes. I appreciate art. I love pictures. I love being in nature. Like, I can't do this stuff, but I just really, really appreciate it. And one of the arts that I see in scripture is how God beautifully uh, uh, melds things together. And this is one of those things that like, I love this. So the word rest, I'm really setting this up, right? So the word rest in, in Greek is Kataposis. And, and if you study the, the etymology of this word, now this is me going geeking out for a second. This is where I'm interested in. I know not everyone is. But we get two English words from it. Catatonic, right, to be in a catatonic state, and pause, to actually pause, right? So this is the rest. And, and what it actually means to the original listeners is, is literally calming of the wind. That's the phrase used for it. Now there's other words for rest. And they, they all carry the same meaning, but I find it just the Holy Spirit as it weaves Scripture together. He uses this word, a calming of the wind. Sometimes we're so used to the storms in our lives, we just, we just think it's normal. We just think this is the way it is. And honestly, as Christians, we live more like people beaten by the storm than people who are connected to the calmer of the storm. Actually, literally, when I was reading this and studying this word, the thing that came to my mind is actually, Richard, I have to use you. Because this is, uh, for those who don't know, Richard, he's, he's retired now, but he used to work in fisheries, and, and he was up there, and, and he went to Norway. Is that right? He went to Norway with the company, and they, he just discovered there that he actually used his picture for an ad. And who's ever watched, like, that, that crab show? What's it called? The Deadliest Catch? Right? You see those guys on the water, they got this like salty, grisly, it's a, Richard has this picture. You should ask, I'll show you, because it's this picture of this salt-worn, weather-worn, I've been working for how many days straight, and I'm still working face, you know? And it's actually really, really cool, because it, it really shows personally who Rick is. Richard here is a hard, hard worker, but I'm using it negatively here. Sorry, Richard. As Christians... That's what we tend to look like. It's people battered by the storm. And in some circles, we actually kind of celebrate it, right? 
carry the cost. I mean, carry the cross, count the cost. That's the generation I, I grew up in. We literally had people in our church that would literally carry a cross on Easter, right? And they're like bleeding and carrying. That's, we celebrate this suffering. And that's what Christianity is, that we must suffer to be like Jesus. That, that, that's actually not even really biblical. So the opposite. That's like Israel. Woe is me. I am in the desert. It's better for me to go back into slavery where at least I ate with the pigs or whatever the phrasing is than being in this desert, being provided for every day by God, seeing his manifestation by clouds and a fire at night. I should just go back to... It sounds ridiculous. Yet what's the current word for that now? Woe is me in my life. Things are so hard. God, where are you? I struggle, but I have faith like the psalmist. God, even though you may crush me, I will believe you. And that's how we talk. Stop it. Come on, people. Stop it. We have the calmer of the storm. And here's the part where I love it so much, because this is personally speaking to me. The word God gave me during this season of COVID, the first week that church was shut down, and I was on YouTube, and we had cords. Like, you guys, if you were here, this place was, we had ladders. We had a camera. We had cords running to the back. We had cords running to the front. We had cords everywhere. We had, a lot, we had three laptops, and we had computers everywhere. And I'm like, YouTube, how do I? I'm crying, talking to my friend. Why is this not working? And Try this, try that. Oh, terms and words. I don't know. I'm freaking out. God gave me this word that while Jesus was, during the storm, Jesus was sleeping on the boat. He was already at peace. And, and, and this doesn't mean that, that God doesn't calm storms. This means that Jesus already knew that God was the calmer of the storms. You see, Jesus is greater than. And if we actually believe it, it manifests in peace when there should be no peace. It manifests in rest when there should be no rest. That during the middle of the storm, when we are at rest is the litmus test to where is my faith at right now? When my marriage is at this state, when my kids are driving me crazy, when my work is this, you plug it in. When the world is going to something hell in a handbasket, whatever phrase we want to use, are we at rest? Begin to apply it. Do we pray like people who are at rest, or are we constantly responding to the fires around us? Do we talk like people at rest, or are we all trying to use as many Christian words as possible to make it look like we're okay? You know? Jesus is greater, and because he is greater, we share in God's rest. In fact, it's actually ours. This is literally what we're not owed. What's the word I'm looking for? That this is what we should become to expect is God's rest. Now, have you ever experienced a moment where you go into Walmart and you see a sale price and you go check it out and then all of a sudden you didn't get that price and you realize it? You take that receipt, what do you do? No, no, no. This is what I'm owed. I know this is wrong. 
Right? We, we contend for the very thing that we know that we, it should be ours. We contend for it most of the time because we know that's our right. Now, what if we carried that same attitude with our rest or God's peace? Let me give you an example. Well, hello, fly. That God, this scenario that I find myself in, I, and fit it in. Like, literally think of something this week or this month. Like, we could be honest. Sometimes things are not good. Things aren't good. Death isn't good. Right? Sickness isn't good. Fighting, anger, these things, they're not good. God, this isn't good. But show me what you're doing. Where are you in this? God, where's your goodness? It's it, 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 changing our perspective. God, right now, I am not in, in rest. I'm not experiencing your peace. I am the disciple freaking out on the deck of the ship. So God, where are you here? Where, where is your rest? Where is your goodness? That we would be people, but we, that we would be metal detectors of his goodness. There it is, there it is, there it is. That's what that means. <laughs> there it is. There it is, there it is, there it is. Let's, let's pray together. So this morning, uh, I'm going to pray for three groups. First of all, if you're here and you've never made the decision to invite Jesus into your life, that's the beginning. This is what qualifies us for his rest and his peace. While all the world around us might be chaotic and crazy, this is our foundation that God is good. And he gives his goodness to us. And he demonstrated his goodness through Jesus Christ that anyone who believes in him will be saved and, in fact, carry his spirit. That's that Holy Spirit I talked about earlier today. So I want to invite you to make that decision with me. And I'm going to invite everyone to pray with me. But if this is the first time you're making this prayer, if you're online or uh, wherever you are, I want to make sure that you contact us. There's information down here. I'm doing this because online it's right here or right behind us. Find us because we want to connect you with great resources that helps you in, in, in this new journey. Second of all, I just want to declare peace. We're all going through different things. I mean, I, if we're not going through something, that's kind of like, are we actually living life? There's always stuff going on. And I just want to declare peace in his provision and his rest, that, that this would be more than just the words that Sam speak, that there'd be this, this revelation. And that's, that's a Christianese word that actually means a, a light would get turned on. Have you ever heard those moments in life where you're like... Oh, I get it. That the light would turn on. That we would really get it. His rest, his peace. Third group, man, if you're already on it, then we want more. We can never have enough. So let's, let's pray together. So again, first, if you've never made a decision to believe, I invite you to pray this with me. And if everyone would just do that with me so no one is left out. Jesus, I believe in you. And I invite you in my life. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit and teach me how to live in your rest and in your peace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome. That's it. You're in. Welcome to this crazy, crazy family full of very, very imperfect people who just love God.
Now, Holy Spirit, for the rest of us, I just begin to declare your peace. I, I begin to declare your rest. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us these personal light bulb moments. Um, I pray that, I, I don't know if I'm using this analogy, that, God, that the Holy Spirit, that you would give us your glasses, that you would tune in our sight into your goodness, that we would begin to see, okay, God, this is, this is what I'm doing. He, this is where I am. See my rest. See my provision. See my peace. God, this morning we acknowledge that not, not everything that we're dealing with is good, but we ask you that you would reveal to us, where, where are you in this? Where is your goodness? God, where we've become familiar with your presence to a point where we've kind of just taken it for granted, we turn, we repent and turn. We say, forgive us, Holy Spirit. That we would never get tired of declaring your goodness. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear to be aware of the people around us who, who we need to then actively encourage and demonstrate and show your goodness. Holy Spirit, would you take our salt-beaten, storm-ravaged body and restore it as one that just is right in the middle of your peace, God? And for those, maybe we already got this word. God, we, we want more of you, Holy Spirit. We contend for uh, um, just a demonstration, a confirmation of your gospel that we would see signs, wonders, and miracles distributed by you, Holy Spirit. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, as we go, go like people who carry the storm calmer with them. Amen. Go in his peace, go in his rest.